Whether you're looking for a convenient refresher course, or a way to earn your Pragmatic certification at your own speed, or the chance to take a Pragmatic course from your specific corner of the world, then Foundations On Demand is the solution you need. Get the same great content, tools, and templates our Foundations course is famous for in a flexible and easy-to-use online learning platform. Learn the skills you need to build and market products people want to buy. And earn your Pragmatic Institute certification anywhere, anytime. No more travel worries, no more time zone issues, just truly great training. Experience the new way of training with Foundations On Demand from Pragmatic Institute. Visit pragmaticinstitute.com foundations to learn more. to jump right into things here. So I will start off by introducing myself. My name is Georgina Donahue. I am the Director of Community at Pragmatic Institute. Many of you uh, may already be familiar with me or with our online community space. We do lots of things with the community, but one of my favorite things that we do is we connect with industry leaders and really elevated practitioners in the space on calls like this one. So I am delighted to kick off this conversation because we are here today with Mamuna Oladipo. She's the VP of product at Shopify, and she's an absolutely incredible and proven powerhouse of knowledge, innovation, product strategy. And of course, she's leading one of the largest global brands in existence. So today's conversation is really all about how to understand your customers and how to use their use cases and use scenarios so that you can develop really stellar UX approaches that absolutely span the globe. We're going to be talking about building meaningful UX approaches, uh, really based on Mamuna's experience at Shopify and previously, and really building successful products and teams across the entire span of your product lifecycle. So Mamuna, we are totally delighted to have you here with us. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, what a kind introduction. I am very happy to be here and I thank everyone for joining. I'm excited to see the chat start to flutter with questions and conversations so we can pull that in and have a live conversation together. Yeah, me as well. Let's dig right into it and uh, give them something to flutter about. So can you tell us a little bit more about your product role at Shopify and, and maybe some of your favorite aspects of your role? Yeah, so VP of Product is Shopify. I've been here now for about eight months. I have worked at numerous other companies from Kickstarter, Sony, Bloomberg, I don't even know, some startups. You know, I've done small, I've done big. I've led product marketing, product design, product management teams. I've led engineering teams and brand marketing, lots of mix. But at Shopify, I get to focus a little bit. And so I'm leading to large product orgs. And in that, you know, there are multiple sub teams within those orgs and uh, there are smaller teams within those. And I think, you know, the thing I love most about the role is one, the autonomy. I think Shopify for the size of company it is, has a lot of autonomy. You get to make a lot of decisions. You get to really be a leader. Uh, so I, I love that. I love that I'm working with smart people. I maybe be a VP, but I learn from my peers, from people who report to me, from skip levels 
every day, all day. Uh, everyone brings something very interesting to the table. So I love being able to work with the people that I work with. It's a new problem space for me. So that was one of the reasons I did take this role. I've never worked in shipping. I've never worked in transactions or a couple of the areas that I lead. And so it's like you get to apply your known skills, your product, product marketing, design, engineering, et cetera, skills into completely new spaces. And you get to test out what that looks like in, a, in this world. And then I would say, you know, last but not least, the impact that I can have. So, you know, building for merchants in this world, a lot of merchants are individuals, you know, they, they have these ideas and like, you know, they're dreaming, they're thinking, how can I get my business started? And so being able to build something that can really change their lives is an opportunity that I'm thankful to have. Yeah. And it's incredible to think about the impact that you can have on somebody's vehicle for their passion and, and their livelihood, right? And I, I, as we were kind of putting this conversation together and thinking about topics that we'd like to discuss, I know one of the things you mentioned that was your passion is really uh, utilizing a use case and use scenario finding to put together really killer user experience. So I would love to hear more about why you feel it's so important to deliver these merchants and, and everyone that you work with a really powerful user experience. Yeah. This is a, this one really stays with me because every time I'm sure everyone here, if I asked you, I'm not going to do it, but if I asked everyone to like name a site or an app that they recently visited where they either landed on it and immediately questioned if it was legitimate, perhaps closed it because it just didn't look good or it was hard to navigate. You got frustrated, whatever it may be. It's so interesting how experience and design has such a like a base level effect on whether a person can start doing a thing. And so the ability to impact that is, is really meaningful. And so, you know, I think when you're, when you're passionate about a user and you get to start solving for that, for that problem, you know, you want your solution to be not just fast, but you want it to be intuitive. And so, you know, I think to be intuitive, you truly have to know who your user is, put yourself in their shoes, and you have to be able to speak to their problems. And so I love the human side of products, about design, of product marketing, because you're really digging into behaviors. And it's like, you think about their needs and motivations, you need to understand those, build those experiences, and you really have to just remove yourself from yourself and think about others. I, I love that about products. Yeah. It's really interesting thinking about kind of the, the psychological side, right? Mm -hmm. Of like, who is this person? How do I, how do I kind of find out how you see the world and, and what life looks like from your point of view, right? Which is enormous, um, such a huge kind of area to delve into and, and the human brain, right? At scale. Um, right. So when you're, when you're doing that kind of use case research, can you walk us through a little bit of what your process looks like? I imagine you've really got a, it's a large task, right? So you have to break it up into, into pieces that are both useful and meaningful and, and that your team can actualize on. Yeah. You know, as a leader, I think one of the, the areas that I found in my past that I had made mistakes and that now I am very conscious of is, you know, starting at the base point of clarity and understanding around your goals, like what is it you're trying to achieve? So you know, something as simple as taking a step to say, okay, how much time do we have to solve this problem? And when do we have to deliver something by is oftentimes skipped because we just want to kind of jump in and the team comes back with this amazing solution. And it's only going to take three years or a year to deliver on. You're like, oh no, this has to be done in three months. We need to go back. So, you know, having a sense of timeline or time frame or expectation for delivery is, is like 
the number one for me and my team. And then thinking about, um, you know, teams, especially in a remote world, we have different experiences. So I also want to make sure the teams have a good understanding of the product as it stands today, because you can't start a solution if you don't know what your users are using. So understanding that you have like those experiences down packed, are they generally good? Are they, what are the bad things? What takes a lot of time? Where are their frustrations? What are they doing off products? Like just those basic things. And then, you know, you want to make sure that you take time to like shadow and speak to your users. You want to do deep dives, understand like what tools are using in conjunction with yours, et cetera, et cetera. And then once I've gone through there, I start to start to form out like, okay, what are some areas of focus or opportunity based on the findings that were, were from our conversations? It really comes down to the type of problem you're solving for. It could be that you're trying to validate a problem, trying to understand an opportunity. Uh, you're trying to get a sense of directionality. Where should we be going? You know, you can put together some tests. You can put together some wireframes and do like uh, conversations with folks internally to help buy in. But I, you know, I think when you're looking at when you're looking at what path to go for me, it really points back to directionality. So when you talk to the team about your goals and how you're measuring success and where you all are trying to go, what is it that gets you there as quickly as possible and in an informed way? And so I think, you know, as a team member, it's always important to remain flexible in your approach because the things that you may find along the way may change how you think about that thing that you expected to uh, put out at the end, your outcome. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense to me. And, and another question I wanted to ask you about was really about how Shopify prioritizes, you know, where, where its user experience wants to go, right? And, and it sounds like the answer is really about directionality and intentionality. So I'm, I'm curious, I'll pivot a little bit and ask yeah. you to share maybe a couple examples of how you have seen that work in a really successful way, how maybe you have responded to user needs and surprised and delighted them in a way that was able to be intentional from your team? Yeah. So I would say Shopify prioritizes definitely for simplicity and experience first. So you think about, you know, not wanting to introduce complexity for the sake of introducing complexity, just because a thing looks nice or a thing should be there and really thinking about the, like the rigor and understanding what is being introduced, especially to our admin, like classically a person's like, what what is this new button? What does it mean? Why is it add to my flow? So just really being mindful of that. And also for reduction in technical complexity. Mm-hmm. So again, we don't want to add to a platform if we don't need to. So thinking about how do all the, like all products design, everyone is thinking about technical complexity and they're thinking about simplicity. I would say, you know, as I think about sort of those delightful experiences, some of the areas that I lead are traditionally not exciting or sexy products. Like it's um, like I have a sales tax team. And I love it. When I first came on board, I was like, oh my gosh, what am I, I know nothing about sales tax. I in fact hate doing taxes. Like, uh, you know, but you think about that feeling like that, uh, and you're like, oh gosh. And you think about the opportunity there to really help alleviate someone's, uh, and that's where your opportunity is. So my team on sales tax, for example, it's now thinking about how you turn that into it, how you turn it oh, into a delightful experience. Mm-hmm. And that's exciting, you know, shipping. I, one of my teams is doing shipping. And again, you think about, okay, I just want the thing in the time that I have it. How do I just get it to me? And the, you probably have all these options and things cost things, but what if you didn't have to think about it? You know, what if it was just, an, it, it knew you? What if, what if your, your flow helped inform your options, you know, and I think finding ways within that to really delight 
users is, is really interesting. I would say at um, former roles that I've had, you know, it's it's pretty similar in terms of wanting to reduce complexity. I think Kickstarter was similar in terms of how it worked to introduce new designs. It was very, it was the design to submit Kickstarter is very simple. It's very clean. It's very intentional. And the goal is to get you to your area of interest as quickly as possible. But you look at Kickstarter and if you really peel the onion there, there's a lot of content. There's a lot of projects, there's a lot of creators and everyone wants to be seen. You have a lot of backers, people who want to back projects come in and they, and they want to find the thing. So how do you quickly find a, find a project that you want? And so creating those experiences where you can unexpectedly, like for, for example, one of the experiences at Kickstarter was um, when a backer first backs a project, there's like a little bit of confetti that goes off, you know, and it's unexpected, but that those like little moments where you celebrate uh, a thing can go a long way. Cause you know, we can't really like be there to clap for a person and say, good job, you know? So finding those moments of like surprise delight, I, I find that to be exciting. Yeah. I also think it's so interesting when you're thinking about creating something that's really thoughtful for your user, right? It's your job to be the one that really sits there and goes down the entire line of what is this experience going to be like for you. And I think just as much as those little tiny experiences they do have, it's also really important to consider all of the things that we do not do for them. Like all of the Mm -hmm. things that we have taken off your plate or shielded you from. Right. And so you've got such great examples. Now I'm now I'm addicted to your stories. I'm going to ask for some more. If you have a story for us about a time that you were able to pivot away from an idea that you were working on, right? How did you um, how did you guard your user by, you know, making sure your team didn't go down the wrong path or, you know, found some inspiration to go in a different direction? Yeah, lots of pivots. And I feel like product is product is all about pivoting. But I would say, you know, there was a there was a a product I was working on when I was at Sony and our, our, we we had in mind what we had always done, but as we started to do more research, I saw a clear opportunity, which didn't align with the business, but it aligned with um, where the market or where the industry was moving towards. And so I had a choice. I could either go forward with a path that was more familiar, but probably wouldn't serve the users in a meaningful, new, competitive way. Or I could fight this uphill battle. I decided to, to fight the uphill battle. But, you know, I think the, the interesting thing there was that, you know, in doing the research, I had all the data. I knew that the opportunity was there and I knew how to communicate the opportunity. It was now just a matter of, as a business, do we want to sort of pivot or step into this new space? And I think it was a, it was a learning opportunity. I think whenever you are trying to do something different, this is, you know, I think, several years ago in my career, but, you know, I think when you're trying to do something different that is unfamiliar, it does take repetition. It does take a level of understanding because you do not have ever, you know, folks that you're presenting to or folks that you're trying to speak to, they don't have the same level of visibility into what you do. They're not having the conversations. And so it's important that you find ways to take those nuggets of information and pass those along meaningfully while also conveying the bigger picture and opportunity. So I think where I eventually learned to get to is that you have to paint that picture of like the promised land. Like it's going to be beautiful. It's shiny. We're going down this path. It's going to be great. But here is how we get there. And here's what we can expect when we get there. And here's how we measure success. Like there has to be that like measurable thing. So I think in all of the pivots I have made, as I've gotten better at pivots, 
a lot of time it's that storytelling component that is important to bringing people along with you on that journey. Yeah. And I think the storytelling is so important when you are working up or when you're working below or when you're working with your users, right? In every component, being a really dynamic storyteller um, Mm -hmm. is one of the most essential things in product and design, right? Mm -hmm. And especially given that when you're talking about UX, you're often talking about really cross-functional teams. You're really talking about dynamic groups of people. So I'd love to dive in and ask you a couple questions about your team and how um, how design is structured at Shopify or at, or at previous organizations mm-hmm. you've worked with. You know, how does that product management and design collaboration, what does that model look like for you? Yeah, so at Shopify, uh, we have this concept of a multifacta. So that is design, product, data, marketing, engineering, finance, like it's, it's, it's all the leads sit at the top of an area. So, you know, I have my org, there's a multi-facta and then within that org, there are maybe four to six teams within those four to six teams. There's another multi-facta. So you have like a, a director of design, then you have maybe like principal or manage manager level folks that are at that next level. And then from that uh, next level, the multifecta level, you now have ICs sort of sprinkled out supporting different lines of products. And really the, the purpose of this structure is to make sure that one, all, all functions have a same sense of responsibility and accountability for how decisions are made. Um, everyone feels like their voice is being heard and accounted for when we're making decisions. Not to say that everyone is always going to get their way, but at least we have the opportunity to disagree and commit if we need to, but everyone is in the room hearing what and why things are happening. So that's generally how it's structured. In other companies, I've I've worked at companies where I've had a smaller design team. So we've done sort of the agency model. It it can work. The challenge I had there was that we were doing some deeper dives as, as the product matured and the designers didn't have enough context in a number of the areas to be able to deliver, you know, deeper, like richer experiences for users. And so that was just, you know, for that time, it, it didn't really work as well. I've worked in companies where we've had, we've outsourced design. So we've had designers in-house plus externally. And so that worked well because we've had a lot of work to be doing. So we could hand it off in the evenings, have the team on somewhere else work on it. Then the team comes back the next day and the work is already done. So I've seen it work in multiple places. I think it just depends on the culture and the speed at which you need to be producing content. Yeah. I have a question here from someone that I'm going to bump out to um, who mentioned that it's always been a struggle at their company to really truly embed UX, UI specialists into the development process, into the product team. And it's just an ongoing challenge. Do you have a perspective on why that's so challenging for a lot of organizations or some of the common mistakes that they bump up against? Yeah. I mean, well, I don't want to generalize, but I would say that for myself, when I know, so I built out the design team when I was working at Sony. And I remember the conversation was really rough because the assumption was design is just there to make things look nice. And it was less about the experience. And it was, it was very challenging to get people to change that view of just like, it's just a shiny thing that you can have. It's, they feel like it's very optional. And so oftentimes design is consulted at the end of a project, like, oh, hey, check out what we did. It's cool, right? And, you know, if you, no offense, like if you have an engineer or maybe like maybe some product people, if you have them being the ones say, okay, 
I'm just going to do the design and the designer can check on it later. It's, I'm sure it's functional, but is it, is it intuitive? Is it useful? Does it create delightful experiences? And so I think when you start to mature as a company, like you might be fast and scrappy in the beginning. You're just like, I just need to get stuff out the door, but eventually, hopefully you're going to want to keep people around and you are, you're going to want to get them excited about, you know, looking at your screens. And so, you know, I think when you're talking to folks and you're trying to get them to understand the purpose and value of design, you know, sometimes I started use, stopped using the word design and I'd say, you know, UX or user experience, because I want them to understand that it's, it's, it's deeper than just the pretty colors and the buttons and, you know, whether somebody scrolls or not, you know, it's, it's, it's deeper than that. So sometimes it's a matter of also just using a uh, different vocabulary there. Yeah, that's really smart. I do think that there is often an attitude of design just comes in at the end and pretties up the, the real work that had yeah. already been done, right? Which, which totally sells it short. So yeah. how, when you're working with your teams, are there any particular approaches or tactics that you take to make sure that your, your product, your development, your design team are all really working in concert to create those powerful solutions and are really driving from the, the perspective and the basis of that experience? Yeah, for me, it always comes down to your vision. Yeah, you you have to have a strong vision. Without without that vision, and I say that because I I've, I've worked on teams, I've come onto teams recently, and you know that vision wasn't there yet. And without that vision, everyone has their own splinter of what this thing could be in the end and what success looks like. So, I mean, it is not to say that everyone here has to go and write one, but it, it is it is a important exercise. Mm -hmm. to have that honest conversation with your team to say, hey, where do we all think this thing is going? And what is, how are we measuring this thing as being successful? Because if, for example, um, you know, when I used to be on like PM teams, I would have in mind, okay, if we deliver on these five things that we've done it, we're great. But then I go speak to my lead and they're like, oh, well, those things are nice to have, but you know, this is where we truly see the value. And I'm like, oh, okay, good thing I asked. You know, I wouldn't have thought to, to ask here. So it's important to have that alignment and then start to communicate that consistently as loud as possible. So everyone is aligned. Everyone has time to ask questions, but everyone, you know, I think a, a high-performing team, it shows when, you know, if the, the VP, the director, the whoever is leading the organization is not in the room and everyone else in the room can clearly articulate what it means to be successful or what it means to win in delivering on the on the thing. Uh, and so that clarity there is is really important for for the product to, to, tr to thrive. Yeah, I love that. I think that's such a great measure of success, right? And it, it brings us back to the theme of storytelling and being able to say, okay, I, I, you know, my leader has given me this really clear vision and has helped me develop this clear vision. And right. now I know how to go forward and tell that story. Mm -hmm. So how, how much does your team contribute to that vision or start to kind of shift or change or, you know, add little pieces to the vision as you go forward? I'm, I'm curious about that as well as how you motivate them to think bigger, to think deeper and encourage them to pitch ideas that are going to kind of become embedded in that larger vision? Yeah, great question. So the, the, the vision component is interesting. It really depends on if it's a newer team or if it's an existing team. Mm -hmm. um, if it's a newer, I mean, I've actually, it's not true because I've been on, I've come on to mature existing teams and I've written a vision because there wasn't one there. And so it really depends on um, the state of the team. 
but what I, you know, at Shopify, I like the model we have, there's aimers and that is doing like the strategic component, setting the directional vision of where we're going. Then you have like this assembly component, which is how do you build community, the people around you, how do you get them uh, all moving in the same direction? And then you have achieve, which is like execution, how you get stuff done. So all those pieces lead to how the team operates. So, you know, a lot of times you have a person who comes in who's just a strong aimer, but they're not strong in some other areas. And so finding that balance is important. But, you know, I found that once you have that strong aim, it could come from myself, it could come from another product lead, whatever it is. Once it's down, you now create sort of some guardrails to encourage the team to start to, to ideate, to throw ideas out to the table, because now they know not only where we're trying to go, but how, we're, how we are going to be measured what our intended outcomes are. We have a clear statement of problems and intent. Uh, we know why the team exists. Mm -hmm. So it's not that the team is not throwing out like wild ideas, like, oh, we could build a rocket ship. It's like, well, what does a rocket ship have to do with what we're measuring here, you know? Right. So that helps to, I think it helps to build confidence in the team and potentially what could be done in the work that they're doing. Yeah. That's really helpful. Um, I see a bunch of comments in here too, um, kind of validating how helpful that is. I want to look in the other direction with you now about, you know, we've talked a lot about kind of the teams that you that you manage and that you grow and that you nurture. Can you talk a little bit about how you are communicating findings to leadership? Um, maybe, maybe your peers or maybe leadership above. How do you present your findings? How do you really tell that story of the vision and advocate for the work? Is there anything in particular that you lean into? So I would say for uh, my directs when they are coming to me with what they are trying to propose or do, the things that I look for, for them to have is a clear sense of the why. Mm -hmm. And if they can articulate directionally where we're going and why we're going in that direction, I think like that's the first, the first layer, like talk to me about the why. And then it also shows you know, what we're potentially what we're doing and what, what we're not doing and why aren't we doing those things that we're not doing? Because I think it's always important to talk about, you know, and we're leaving, leaving these things out or we're delaying on these other items, whatever it may be, but then also having a clear sense of how you're measuring your success. So it's not just, we're going to go build these things and hopefully people will use it or people will adopt it or will retain our users, whatever it is, but there's a plan for that, right? So it's like, okay, we build these experiences. We invest X amount of time. We do this like marketing splash and everyone's happy and we then can expect this because we in our research we saw that this we saw competitively people in the space are doing this thing whatever it may be but having clarity around your whys how you're measuring success the intended outcomes is going to be key to clearly articulating why something should be invested in and and that it's important to do right now mm -hmm. There, that that touches on a number of questions that uh, I was saving for you, but we'll we'll get into them now from folks on the call that are really asking about you know what are the approaches to measuring success when you are looking at kind of use case scenarios and, and UX. Are there particular kind of KPIs that you're that you're looking at, or how do you you know how do you measure simplicity, right? Like how does that how do you measure the success of those kinds of goals? Yeah, I mean, so I like to, it's, a, it's challenging, I, you know, I, I think every company is so different. And I, you know, I think the thing I like about Shopify is that it, it doesn't introduce a lot of process. 
-hmm. And so you have flexibility to think about how you are defining your success. Uh, but I've worked at companies where there are OKRs, they all ladder down perfectly and everything is very structured and all that fun stuff. And, you know, it really depends on the culture. Uh, recently, one thing that I did was I worked with the team to develop out, you know, the whys, problems, the opportunities for where we're trying to go, what we're trying to accomplish, et cetera, et cetera. But then I thought about, okay, in three years time, if we were to hit, you know, an adoption number, if we were to, like, whatever the metrics were, if we were to hit those things, what would I be excited about? So put those down and then I start to forecast and say, okay, to work from here to there, what does that look like? What would we need to do realistically? And then I would start to plug in initiatives or investments in those three to five years that we would need to make along the way to potentially hit those areas, right? Mm -hmm. And then from there, you start to say, okay, what are some major milestones? What, do we, what are some big unknowns? Who do we need to focus, what segments do we need to focus on? And I think a lot of the questions start to span out. Like if you realize that you need to see 50% um, adoption of, of one of your products in the next you know, three years, then you're like, okay, let's <laughs> see what that means. And so you have to think like, we need some pretty radical change maybe, or you know, it depends on like your products, but that helps to set for you how, not ambitious, but how quickly you need to ramp or slowly, or if you need to de-scope or you need to change your expectation, whatever it is, this now helps you to set that. Mm -hmm. And when you're setting those goals or, or maybe recalibrating expectations, do you have any examples of, of ways that you have presented that vision or those targets that have really resonated with decision makers? Any kind of like things that you find to be like a little bit of a silver bullet approach? I mean, honestly, I think it goes like I, I created this template for how I write product visions. Okay. And so in that it's like, it's pretty simple. You know, I have like the background which speaks to the problem. You have your sort of mission, which is like a one or two sentences. And then you have your intended outcome, which is the number, the, the, the two or three metrics you plan to hit. Then you have your strategy. So what are the things we're going to do to get there? What over the three year period? So 22, 23, 24, what are those investments look like? And then I have a clear jobs to be done at the end there, which speaks to like, it, it ladders into themes that we'll probably pull into each year. The way that I like to think about my strategy is I think about them on three horizons of growth. I think McKinsey has like the three horizons of growth, but like one is like the foundational investment. The second foundation, the second horizon is growth and optimization. And the third is like more of your experimental moonshots. And so each year, like for the first year, you probably have like 70% in foundation, 20% in growth, 10% in moonshots, moonshots, and then move into year two, then some of your uh, second horizon fall into your first, your third fall into your second. And now you start to fill in, okay, what do, what do our third horizon look like? What do our new investments look like? And for me, you know, that helps the team think about, you know, on the, on the UX side, if we're gonna get the design team ahead to think about discovery, they know, okay, generally we're gonna be working on these couple of problems that are more moonshotty. We're gonna get ahead of product on this. We're gonna validate some ideas. Product then comes and says, okay, thank you. Like let's partner now together design 
to push forward some of these ideas that you've started to put together. And then once it gets to like a, a more solid place and you start to pull more engineering and say, okay, this is now becoming more of a reality. How do we make this thing happen? And so it's, it's like a natural flow where you're pulling along this process of the story. But the thing in that is that when you're communicating that story to leadership or to whoever else, it's not a hard stop. Okay. It starts today. It's more of a, this is where we're going and we're going to journey there together. And I'm going to keep you updated every, you know, three months, six months, whatever it is on the progress for that story. And I think that's the thing that helps to get people comfortable with change. Yeah. So at the beginning, I told everyone not to worry about taking feverish notes. And that description of your vision template is where oh. I was just like, oh, I to write this down. Um, so I will reiterate for everybody on the call. Yes, that was amazing. Yes, we're going to send you the recording of this. So don't worry. That does, you know, that's, it's a really beautiful way of, you know, combining I love the term moonshot, combining a daydream with just a really tactical and practical approach of just mm -hmm. kind of marching towards those goals, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. I want to ask you a couple questions that are a little bit more, a little bit more freestyle. Um, some yeah. advice that you can offer folks on the call that are looking to grow and develop their careers and, and their work. Do you have one particular skill that you would recommend product professionals work to develop further? And maybe they're product professionals that are collaborating with designers or working on UX or maybe not. Yeah. Communication. <laughs> <laughs> I am a huge advocate for communication, especially now in this remote world. It's important that you not only know how to speak with your peers, but you know how to speak up and you know how to speak down because, I mean, I have, as a leader, failed multiple times in this front because I have, you know, just said one thing flat and I'm like, yeah, factually, this is true. But you realize that different people have different ears and different people listen or absorb information very differently. So you can't just maybe say it. You might have to leave it in Slack or send an email. You might have to create spaces for one-on-one um, -on -one conversations or smaller group settings. You may have to have a good big round, uh, town hall, whatever it may be. But I think that awareness, like, like that EQ to be a leader is, is, is just very important. I would say uh, another like one to have is like business analytics or business data, like understanding financial data. And I think that was one that I learned pretty late, but it's important that you understand how to speak about the impact of your product, not just to your users, but also to the business, right? Because your business is employing you. So you want to be able to talk about, you know, if we were to invest X amount of money into making this thing happen, what is the expected return on investment here? And I think it's always like in the back of people's minds as like a question, but they may not want to articulate or say it so directly. So getting ahead of it is, is, a, is a good thing. Yeah. Really smart advice. Get to know what's your, what's your CFO's name. <laughs> <laughs> and do you have any advice for us about how we can, um, you know, everyone wants to think in a really innovative way. And, and, and I think innovation is a word that people really like and they aspire towards, but also when I think I'm like, what does it mean? What, what yeah. does that mean? Right. And so I guess I'm, I'm curious if you have advice for how we can continue to think one step ahead in our own product roles, right? How can we really see that chessboard moving uh, so yeah. that we can really deliver exceptional products that, that our customers wanna buy? So my perspective is that it begins even before you start on a problem, 
And it really begins with how a team is designed. And, you know, I believe that if you don't have a diversity of people on a team, then it's hard to have a diversity of thought and empathy, which then makes it hard for you to actually build and design for users. Like if you're building for a global audience and you're all based in North America, I remember this one time when I was working at Sony, we were redesigning the homepage of one of our sites. And I thought I, I did all this research and I spoke to all of the execs and, you know, we have these designs and I put them all up and I was like, what do you all think? And they're like, oh, ah, this is beautiful. And I shared it out with our, our global teams. And they were like, this is so American. And I was <laughs> like, wait, what? And they're like, yeah, I mean, clearly this is very American. And I was like, what does that mean? You know? And it, it was, it, it's so interesting because we oftentimes think in a bubble and nobody on my team was from any, like, you know, most of us were centered in New York at the time. And so most people have that view. But now as I design out my teams, I'm focusing on people who are in EMEA, Southeast Asia, throughout Africa. Like I want that mix because that perspective is important when you're thinking about building for like, how am I going to attract people from different regions or across the globe if I am building only for people in New York or North America like that that's not fair and so that awareness is important I think from there once you have that team you can now start to push outside of your boundaries so what do we need to consider how do we think about solving for problems what types of problems are we solving for today where are we constrained in our thinking and having those people who are constantly just kind of picking at your I remember um in one of my groups we had a person who always like they're they're role was devil's advocate. So someone would say, okay, today my role is to kind of play devil's advocate or to question our, our directions. And so having that person who's consciously just like, oh, I don't, you know, is that true? Is that an assumption? Should we be going down that path and like getting us to pull the thread a bit more was super helpful. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. It actually reminds me of when I started at Pragmatic. Uh, I'm based on the East Coast and Pragmatic is based in Arizona. And I remember I started and it took a couple months before my I was close enough with my teammates that they told me, they're like, yeah, when you started, we were like, this girl's had too much coffee. Like she's so hyper. Why are we right? And it's just a, it's just a different, Yeah. you learn, you learn how how, like you say, different people have different ears uh, mm-hmm. and different people have different styles. So I, I love that. Yeah. Right. I'm going to wrap up our conversation here with a uh, a question um, from somebody on the call that is asking you for a prediction. What do you think are some of the themes or fads um, that you see developing in product and design in the next one to three years? Um, The example given here was how the iPhone dark mode was a fad 2018 to 2022. Do you see any fads coming up? I mean, I think there are some like ones are probably already here. We just have to incorporate them better, whether it's um, like crypto being more ingrained in how we shop or, or our normal experiences, or even I love like the concept of the live shopping that goes on in some countries. And I think, you know, as we think about experiences, I think the boundaries of what we know to be true today are going to kind of expand. Like they're, they're, the things are already around. I think we just have to kind of fit, figure out how they fit into our, our frame today. But I, I do think that, I do think that like there are things around VR, like there's so many, there's so much new technology out there that I think people are just ready to grasp, especially in this remote world where they're looking to figure out how to connect with people so quickly. Yeah. 
Yeah, I love that. I love that. I think that's great. This has been such a fantastic conversation. Um, so I am going to uh, wrap us up here. I see so, so many comments. I love all of the conversation that's going on in the chat. People absolutely loving this. Mamuna, this has been a total delight to chat with you. This has been really, really great uh, conversation and so many little nuggets of wisdom. I really appreciate you sharing with us. Thank you so much for having me. It's been, it's been a pleasure to be here with you all today. Yeah, this has been great. I encourage everybody to go follow along with what Mamuna is doing. Follow her on LinkedIn, other social channels. Um, you definitely will not regret it. I give you a money back guarantee that you're going to have a great <laughs> time following along uh, with her journey. You can follow along with us for our next conversation. Uh, you can join us on Thursday, June 23rd. We'll be here at 1 p.m. Eastern as usual. Uh, we're going to be joined by Anja Gopakumar, who's the product and editorial insights uh, and metadata leader at Netflix. And so we're going to have a conversation with her about really what some of the key factors are to consider when you're approaching your content strategies and how to really utilize metrics um, for that decision making. So until next time, everybody, it was a delight to have you join us here today. Mamuna, once again, absolutely delighted to get the opportunity to learn from you today. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. All right, everybody, we will see you next time. Bye.